Welcome to the third episode of Steel Watching, which is a podcast for Remington Steel fans. My name is Sarah, and I'm one of the hosts. And I am Eric, one of the other hosts. No, the other. <laughs> the only other host. The other. <laughs> yes. Um, There's the one and then the other. Yeah. <laughs> it's two. And I'm the other. I pass math. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so today we're going to be talking about Steel Waters Run Deep, which is the third episode. And it first aired on October 22nd, 1982, and was written by Lee Zlotoff and directed by Jeff Blechner. And I hope I got that name right. <laughs> I used Judith's book for the summaries because it has a bunch of different summaries of the episodes. And she has in there the TV guide listing. Okay. And what the TV guide listing said. So I thought that was pretty cool. So the TV guide listing for this episode at the time read, Laura and Remington have 24 hours to find a video game genius who has vanished on the eve of a successful merger along with $5 million and his company's latest video game plans. So I thought that was a pretty succinct summary. The only thing I would really add would be that Laura is also kind of running around trying to get Steel to entice a client that could potentially mean big dollars. And of course, Steel wants nothing to do with it. <laughs> um, well, no, it's boring. But- <laughs> it's boring. It's not fun. Supermarkets. Yeah. <laughs> but the other thing I wanted to point out is that this episode doesn't have any, it doesn't have any vocal movie references, but the entire episode is essentially kind of ripped off of the Hitchcock film North by Northwest. So if you've ever seen the film, have, have you seen it? You know, I have not. And I guess it's time for me to make a confession. <laughs> If you're ready for this, there are a lot of, (laughs) there are a lot of the movies referenced in the show that I have never seen, partly because so (gasps) many of them are, oh, I know, I know, sacrilege. Yes. (laughs) So many of them are like dramas or suspense, and I've never really been into those genres. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, occasionally I'll, I'll watch something because there is something of interest in it to me, one specific thing, but. As a rule, I'm not into the, into those, but as you and I are starting to go through these and like this one, the entire episode references North by Northwest yeah. in a huge uh, number well, of it, ways. Yeah. It, it's making me want to go and get some of these movies. And so I'm going to wind up using the link on the website to purchase <laughs> a copy from Amazon and help support the podcast. There it is. There's the plug. Wait a second. I'm already paying for the podcast. <laughs> no, but but that's a cheap way to get in the whole idea of, hey, people, you can support us by just buying yep. these movies. Anyway, but no, yeah. I have not seen it. And I mean, it's a good one. I have a, a huge thing for Cary Grant. Mm-hmm. So there's my confession. But <laughs> I, I have the plot of North by Northwest, mm-hmm. just a summary of it here. So I'm mm-hmm. going to read that. Okay. And you'll see how it kind of follows. So the plot of the film is that Manhattan advertising executive Roger Thornhill, that's Cary Grant's character, is already having a hectic day with a jam-packed schedule for its remainder. That schedule takes a turn when he is detained during a business lunch by two men he doesn't know who proceed to kidnap him. Unsure why anyone w- would want to kidnap him, he discovers the man behind the kidnapping, a Lester Townsend, believes him to be someone named George Kaplan. Townsend wants information from Kaplan, but is prepared to kill Kaplan with or without the information. Kaplan's death meant to look like an accident or suicide. And of course, the kicker in the film is that Kaplan does not exist. He was created by the femme fatale in the film. I think her name is Eve Kendall. 
Uh, so that's kind of the basic plot. But essentially, that's also the basic plot of this episode, is that they're looking for someone who doesn't exist. His name is George Kaplan. At one point, Steele even gets abducted. So <laughs> um, yeah. it's kind of a cool way to build an entire episode. So I guess my first question then is, given what that, is this a ripoff, an homage? Do you think they had to pay royalties? No, I'm going to say probably not, because it's far <laughs> enough removed that I, I don't think there was, was any kind of a problem like that. My question is, if Remington Steele is such a fan of classic movies, why didn't he recognize the name? Yeah, why didn't he know George Kaplan, I, I think I've heard that <laughs> I name I kind of thought that, too. I thought, wow, that's a real... But No, I, I don't think they, they had to pay the royalties. And, I mean, then is this evidence that, like, this is clearly something that you would only know if you're a fan already of classic films. It's not something the casual fan would notice, especially at that, you know, at that time, because, well, again, unless you're a fan of these types of movies, you're not mm. really going to catch on to that, the whole plot being based off of it. So do you think they were counting on their audience being maybe a little bit older or just having more of a, a classic film knowledge? Or was this just something fun for them to do because they like classic movies and they wanted to stick as many in there as possible? I think that there was a lot of that latter, that they were just fans of classic movies and they'd already kind of established the whole concept of Steele being a fan of classic movies and, going to that well in terms of yeah. references for uh, the cases that they're working on. So in a lot of ways, I think, yes, it was a, a, an homage to the, the film. And I think also there was another factor that probably developed as they were writing the script. Mm -hmm. If you've ever watched a lot of mystery shows, you know that a lot of times yeah. they play fast and loose with the concept of fair. They reveal yeah. the clue that told the detective who it was, but they never told you what it was. You know, the, the detective comes along and says, and here's True. this final clue that, that proved it to me. And, and it's like, <laughs> wh where did that come from? You, you never said anything about that. In this, <laughs> in this episode, you know, it started with George Kaplan. The name, if you right. were familiar with the film, would be obvious to you. So they put it out, out there just, I mean, right in front True. of your face. They also did that, and I, I got to admit, and okay, another confession, I didn't see it. I don't know how many times I've seen this episode, and I don't think I ever saw it. In the opening sequence, when the boat's going out, you see across the, the back. Exactly. You see it right across <laughs> the back, and it's right there in your face. Now, of course, yep. on, on the network, uh, the first network showing of this, nobody would have known that. They, they would just, oh, it's a boat going no. out. And the significance of the boat's name wouldn't have been obvious. But how could I have watched this for so long and not noticed that before? I'm, uh, what can I say? You know what? It's it's one of those things. It Just sometimes those things kind of pass you by and you don't catch on. Yeah. yeah. But I think it's true that it was like, it was meant as a specific, I think anyone who had seen the movie too with that, use of the name George Kaplan mm -hmm. probably caught on to the fact that George Kaplan wasn't real before anybody else would have, because if you've never seen the movie, it wouldn't necessarily jump into mind until they get closer toward the end and they see the parallels of, of Steele's character. Mm -hmm. Right. I think. Yeah. I think it was a good, really so, good I mean, use of the, the movie as a key element yeah. in the episode. I mean, it, 
I mean, props to the writers on this. It was, <laughs> it was well done. I mean, it really was. It was, yeah, it was really well done. And I think they saw some of the similarities between Pierce Brosnan and Cary Grant. And I personally think maybe that was why they kind of chose that movie to sort of parallel an episode of Remington Steel because he, he has that classic style that Grant sort of pulled off very effortlessly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know if that was a factor, but to me, he always reminded me of Cary Grant or a, a more modern one, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. And I think other people have made that parallel as well. And so we like the beginning of the episode starts with Laura meeting this expensive client, mm-hmm. uh, Emery Arnock. And obviously this is a bit of a change because in the previous episode, she wanted him nowhere near the client. And this episode, she's expecting him. And of course, he's not there. So um, I, I kind of wonder what has passed, you know, if anything, what has happened in between those two episodes that has caused her to say, okay, we're actually going to bring him in on this as opposed to trying to sort of fob him off as she normally does or whether Arnock insisted on it. Well, you know, it could be a little bit of both because in the last episode, there were a lot of problems call, called. There were a lot of... Yeah. There were a lot of problems caused by Laura not telling Steele what was going on. Sure. Yeah, that's true. You know, the hotel and and all that stuff. So I think that's a factor. Arnott could have wanted to meet Steele. Yeah. And this is a big client, like a chain, a national chain of supermarkets. Yeah. And so, you know, if you've got, if you're the CEO or president of a huge corporation like that, a lot of times they don't want to... I'm not going to say they don't want to deal with uh, people that are below their level in the corporate structure, uh, you know, of the company that they're True. they're trying to work with, but they want to at least have contact with somebody who is of equal stature. Yeah. It maybe it's an elitist thing. Maybe it's just a sense of if they don't let me deal with this person at this level, maybe they're not taking our business seriously. So I think there was definitely uh, a bit of Arnock's a little concern about appealing to his pride, his vanity, his, his stature, his position, you know, a little bit of decorum. Yeah. That makes sense. And I kind of wonder if this was steel doing penance for his screw up in the previous episode, you know, she wants that client. So she says, all right, you cost us, you know, $60,000 or 20 was 20,000, but the 2022 equivalent of 60 grand, you're going to come in and, and entice this client to give us this contract. Cause I, that would, that would have made them a lot of money. I would think. Yeah. Well, you know, and the other like thing, a lot. Yeah. The other, <laughs> the other thing is that that was part of their deal was that he was going to glad hand people. Yeah. She was going to do the work. He was going to take the bows. Yeah. Okay. This is in effect him fulfilling that responsibility because he's not really negotiating the deal. He's just there no. as the the face of the agency to glad hand him. So, yeah, and then of course it makes it even funnier that he's not there. Yeah, which which is probably real significant for the agency because it's not a glamour job, but I'm sure it's the type of job that is, you know, it's the bread and butter of of a detective agency. It's not everything's a murder, not everything's a a mystery to be solved. No. A lot of times <laughs> it's just plain paperwork, you know, doing background checks, things like that. Unless you live in that town where Jessica Fletcher lives, then it's always <laughs> Cabot Cove. Yes. I don't think I'd want to live there. You know, like 
I think I'd move. Property values must be real low in that town. <laughs> I think <laughs> that's my Insur- guess. Uh, life insurance <laughs> rates are are horrendous. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but another thing I wanted to point out is that Steele's address, the three sixteen, is the same as my my building number. So I'm not giving any other in you know information about where I live, but he and I share a number at least. You live in the uh, Ro- no. He was also he wasn't living in the Rossmore at this time, no, was he? I, he was. Um, when he comes out, you see the address above him, and it's three one six. But is that the Rossmore um, building? And yeah, he is. He is in the Rossmore. You okay. see the interior of it. So you live in the Rossmore. Yeah, apparently. I, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> no fancy fireplaces or, or you know, plush carpeting here. Yeah. <laughs> that's for sure. Um, this is also the first we see of Fred the chauffeur. And so here's my question about Fred. Uh-huh. He clearly doesn't know uh-huh. why. Why have they not told Fred? Fred would have. And how does Fred not know? Because he, wouldn't he have been there with them before Steele showed up? Well... Yes, but he wasn't necessarily there when Laura and Murphy and Bernice formed the agency. He, I would think, was just somebody that they hired. He didn't know that there wasn't uh, somebody named Remington Steele. He always dealt with Laura or Murphy or Bernice, and they gave him the same story that they gave everybody else. Or maybe they just hired him. Yeah, yeah. And then he changed his name, moved to Detroit, and opened a hardware store. Um, that's a home improvement reference. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, he, <laughs> Harry, Harry's hardware. Yeah, because yeah, he's yeah, he's yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, but I, I think that he uh, was just he was just somebody they they hired to you know be a chauffeur. Do they rent yeah, the limousine or do they own fair. it? It's got the Remington steel plates on. I don't know. That's a, that's the other thing I wonder because he sometimes he's pretty much always available, and I have to think that he probably has like a family and a life and he seems to be at all hours. Like mm-hmm. we'll just call Fred. I, you know, yeah. I kind of think, you know, probably hopefully they're paying him a lot to just come whenever he's called. Kind of like a Butler, I guess, or yeah. some domestic that is always on call basically. And then again, I wonder where they're getting all this money because they can't just have been from the Royal Lovelace case there. I guess that's probably why she wants Arnuck's contract so badly. Yeah. yeah you got to pay off Steele's yeah. debts. <laughs> babysitting Nadine. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> and so then we see him get abducted. Uh-huh. And of course he's abducted by the, you know, this Albie Fervitz character who tells him that one of their partners, George Kaplan has disappeared. I wonder, you know, we, we obviously find out at the end that this was all done to sort of stage George's disappearance. Uh-huh. And that way they could, you know, get away with the money that he's stolen. Wouldn't you want to hire somebody maybe not as good as the best of the best? Because you are running the risk, no matter how careful you are, that you're going to get found out. So I don't, I don't know how necessary it is to hire the most flashiest, most visible, theoretically the the best private detective in town mm-hmm. for this. I think they'd want to go with somebody a little bit more bad at his job, <laughs> or a little less of a name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you know, you're you're probably right. But Laura's explanation was that if they hired the best detective available and he couldn't find him, then there you go. It's impossible. Whereas if they had hired somebody of lesser stature, okay, well, maybe you hired the wrong, maybe he's still actually out there. Maybe you hired the wrong detective, that sort of thing. So I I can see that, but no, you're right. It's, it was a risk. (laughs) It was a, I guess a calculated risk, a, a gamble because it, 
probably, well, obviously it didn't turn out well, at least for Albie. No, it did not. <laughs> well, and then partly that was Albie's fault. They probably would have gotten away with it had he not had the girlfriend on the side. True. Which is, you know, <laughs> they had everything. Everything was pretty, pretty planned, almost down to perfection. It was the, it was the girlfriend that sort of gave him away. Um, but it's yeah. interesting that he, Albie begs Steele for help. And Steele knows he's in no position to take on a client without Laura. Mm -hmm. That's not really his job. But he, and I wonder, he's, all we know of him so far, if, if we're not talking about people who have seen through the series, is mm -hmm. that he is a con man. He is here for the free ride. Why on earth would he take this on without any, mo like, you know, he's been kidnapped. Sure. I guess maybe he could just agree to it and then disappear, but he's genuinely interested in helping Albie mm -hmm. and we don't know much about his character. So why would he be sort of interested in taking on this case? If he's only there to be a face. I'm wondering if it would have to do with just the fact that he was kidnapped. <laughs> True. You know, and there may have been mixed motivations as a result of that. It may have been in part because, well, this guy's so desperate, he kidnapped me. And so that lends credibility to his story, and he just kind of maybe feels sorry for him. Also, maybe the aspect of, I mean, if somebody's desperate enough to have you kidnapped and then apologize for having you kidnapped. <laughs> yeah, he's you very know, polite about it. I wonder yes, if he's Canadian. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and of course there was no ransom involved. It was just, Hey, I kidnapped you cause I need your help. And I, you know, I'm out of my, I'm out of my element here. And yeah, it's the prince in shining armor mentality coming through from steel, I guess, in, in a sense, because he's, yeah. here's some poor downtrodden guy and I can be the hero. <laughs> and maybe that would help him look good in Laura's eyes because I mean, after all, he is interested in Laura. He's wanting to impress her. That might yeah. impress her. <laughs> it doesn't. Spoiler alert, it doesn't. <laughs> but I also think, to add on to that, I think this, that we've seen tiny little clues so far that there is a good person hidden under the con man, the lavish high flyer, you know, all of the stuff that he's put out there about mm -hmm. himself. And we're seeing in the last episode... We saw, you know, his friend Wallace was somebody that he was obviously a thief with back in the old times, or we, I don't know how recent it was, mm -hmm. but he was determined to help Wallace even after he was no longer in the same line of work. Wallace had gone on to owning his mission. Steele had gone on to, you know, being Remington Steele. And he handed him that security contract, partly to help impress Laura, but also partly because Honor Amongst Thieves, he wanted to, you know, help somebody out and I think this is the same where he's seeing this person as you said who's downtrodden who's a bit of an underdog and wanting to help that person out as well and I think that that's little breadcrumbs of his character he likes to or he maybe identifies with people who are less affluent or less you know in need of help and he's Although somebody he that he was Albie was not without financial resources because well, I re remember Ratui yeah, took off money. they said <laughs> multi-million dollar company yeah, that's true maybe yeah. he felt a little bit of kinship to him from the standpoint of Albie presented himself as a guy who was out of his depth in this situation and yeah. 
you know, steel may have sympathized with him. He may have felt, Hey, I've been there too, you yeah. know, and either somebody helped me and he's wanting to repay that back or somebody didn't help me and he's wanting to be different than the people who didn't help mm -hmm. him. Yeah. The, the next scene after this, Bernice calling the morgue, searching for him, is probably one of my favorite parts of the episode because it's just so... We get this sense that they've become more like siblings. As, you know, even just third episode in, Bernice is, you know, she when he comes in, she says to them, whoever she's speaking to on the phone, we might have a body to send you pretty soon. <laughs> And hangs it up. So we're getting more about, you know, Bernice. And I, I think it's really fun the way they're using her, um, which is unfortunate that they, they sort of shove Murphy to the sideline and don't really do too much with him either in the last episode or this one. What do you think about um, how they're using either one of the side characters? My regret, particularly in the the, the latter seasons, but even in this first season, is that at this time in television, the concept of an ensemble show didn't exist. Yeah. If this show True. had been done today, those two characters would not have been relegated to the sideline. They would have been worked in. They would have been vital to the stories. They would have written stories about them. Absolutely. And it would have been a whole different feel for those two characters. And I, I'm, I'm really... Okay, I guess I'm jumping ahead here in the series, but I'm really sad about how sure. they were relegated to kind of the sidelines and, and eventually just yeah. washed away because I thought that they could have been used much better. I agree, particularly with Bernice. I think Laura needed a, another female character her own age. Mm -hmm. Not Nothing against, again, jumping ahead, nothing against Mildred, but mm -hmm. Mildred was a decade at least or so older and in a very different stage of life. A decade? <laughs> and, well, I, I think she was only 40, wasn't she? I guess, yeah, two, two decades. And in a very different stage of life. And Laura didn't have, and, and for the, a good chunk of the time, not aware of the con. So Laura was by herself. She had nobody to, to talk to, to vent her frustrations about Steele and his shenanigans with Murphy and Bernice gone. And I thought Murphy would, or sorry, Bernice would have been a very helpful character to have as a, as a girlfriend, as a, you know, people, as you said, in ensemble cast, characters have friendships. They have other parts of their life outside their job that get worked into the story. And this mm -hmm. was kind of something that I, you're right. They just didn't seem to, to want to pursue, which is a shame because there was, I think a lot to do with Murphy and Bernice that just didn't, didn't get done. So yeah, um, and the other, other but I mean, thing, this scene is funny. And the other thing about Mildred was that I think it was Michael Gleason who said that they took Bernice and Murphy and combined them and created Mildred. And yeah. my question was always, well, if yeah. you could find ways to work Mildred into the story and she was an yeah. amalgamation of Bernice and Murphy, why couldn't you have worked Bernice and Murphy into the story? Exactly. It was yeah. a logic that didn't make a whole lot of sense. But anyway, back to this. Yes. Bernice yeah. is obviously <laughs> thinking of Remington Steele when she says, we may have a body for you soon. She's up. And, and you're <laughs> right. It is very sibling-like. <laughs> yeah. He's still calling her Miss Wolf. 
His excuse when he gets there is pretty funny because Laura had said he was stuck in traffic. He says the flights from Bogota get more unreliable by the day. So, of course, you know, that's that was pretty funny for me. And then you have the scene where Laura sort of drags him into the other room and they're arguing and he's trying to tell her that he's found a case. She's saying we've already got one and they get pretty exasperated with each other. And she says, you know, is this going to work? Or or what was it? She says, um, we can't function like this. You know, what, what, (laughs) are they functioning? Are they, or are they just sort of treading water? Yeah. And that was in response to his comment about, Think of it, Laura, the two of us working together, hand in glove, midnight skull <laughs> sessions, quarters. breathless searches for evidence, <laughs> long hours in cramped cars. He's not talking about the the agency. He's not talking about the cases. No, no he's not. It's it's him hitting on her. Yep. <laughs> and, and that's what she's responding to is, we can't function like this. We're supposed to be a detective agency. Yeah. We're supposed to be professionals, or at least <laughs> I'm supposed to be a professional, and you're supposed to be pretending yeah. to be a professional. We can't keep going on like this with you hitting on me all the time. She just sounds like an exasperated parent at that point mm-hmm. when she says, I can't function like this. Like, this is just not going to work. Get your shoes on. Get out the door. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've I've had that tone of voice with my daughter is what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've been there too uh, several times. <laughs> you know, another thing in the hotel. Well, can we jump back just a second? Back into this yeah, before yeah. they go to the hotel. While they're having this argument, you know, Laura had said, well, we find the clients, we do the work, you just show up. You know, you're supposed to just yeah. glad hand. Why won't you do this? And Steele says, let my natural talents for this work go to waste. And I'm wondering, <laughs> is this the first clue? Maybe he doesn't even know it, but is this the first clue that he's actually wanting to learn to be a real detective? I think it might be because he says something later on where... He says, I I might know what I'm doing. And she says, do you? And he says, just. And I think that was in the condo when they're looking through or looking at George's things. Mm -hmm. And so I think there it's kind of clear as well that he's starting to realize that he might have some affinity for this or he might have some instincts that he wasn't aware he had. And therefore, almost like you said, asking her for help, but in a way that he's not really fully aware of yet. So I, I, I agree. I think this might be a moment where he's kind of going, huh, you know, that I think was partly him being him and just being dramatic. He's a, he's such a drama queen sometimes. And trying <laughs> to win the argument. Yeah. And trying to win the argument. And then, but I think part of it too, is that he's starting at least on a subconscious level to realize that he enjoys this and he wants to be a part of it. He's not a very good kept man, I think. <laughs> well, he enjoys the part about being kept. Yeah. He just doesn't enjoy the, the yeah. responsibilities, uh, the benefits of being kept, but not the responsibilities of being kept. Yeah. I don't think he likes being left out in the loop, though. I think he wants to feel like he's involved in some way, but not in a way that is boring. He doesn't like boring. So going to the office to convince Arnock, supermarkets are boring. Kidnappings are interesting. <laughs> yes. Yes. Anyway, you were taking us to the motel. Yeah. So they, well, sorry. Yeah. They go to the hotel to catch Arnock and then Steele takes Laura to the Ratui or I think it was Ratui and Laura start, you know, she agrees to listen and starts to realize that, Hey, he's onto something here. And rather than admit that he's onto something, she kind of shoes him away to go find Arnock and calls up Murphy. I wonder why she didn't 
be more forthcoming with, yes, you found us a case. You still need to talk to Arnok. I still need you to, to do this for me. But at least kind of keep him a little bit in the loop so that he doesn't go off and do something stupid, which, of course, he sort of does. Go off and do something stupid? Remington Steele? <laughs> She's got to know by now that it's not a good idea to just try to shoo him off to something that he's not all that interested in. Yeah. I wonder if it's not a little bit of her still trying to keep a leash on him. Yeah. And of course it doesn't work. No, no, but it's <laughs> like, um, I'm, this is going to be probably a very bad example because I'm talking about an area that I'm not extremely knowledgeable in, but you know, there's a phrase with horses about them getting their head up where mm. once they start going a certain direction, you you can't stop them. And I'm thinking right. that maybe that was what she was thinking about with him. If I let him know, he may have actually done yeah. something right. It may have actually come up with a case. <laughs> What's that going to lead to? You know, we won't be able to stop him. And so let's just put a halt to it right now. I agree. It's a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a really bad, bad idea. <laughs> And the funny thing is, Ratui, I mean, we know that Ratui, or at least Albi Fervitz and the, the others in Ratui were actually responsible for, you know, the theft of the money and whatnot. But technically, if they hadn't been, if there had been a George Kaplan and this had been a legit case, that probably would have been worth maybe not quite as much as Arnok, but a good chunk of change as well, because Ratui was very, like they had, they had taken off as a company, they were making money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I, I, you know, you think Laura may might try to be doing two birds, one stone, get Arnock on board while she and Murphy pursue this other case that Steele has accidentally stumbled onto and try to solve it, which could work as well. And, of course, Steele ignores him, tells Fred to take a detour, <laughs> says he'll take full responsibility. Fred does what he's told. And, you know, she, she sort of, again, she sends Murphy off on an errand, which, as you said before, kind of a mistake they could have worked murphy into some of these things he's booked on a flight to las vegas and sort of shuffled off the you know out of the storyline for a little bit i gotta wonder how much he takes they take a lot of flights for these cases and maybe this is again me thinking about money like the money involved in this i i know it wouldn't take much money to fly to las vegas from california because it's pretty close but you don't wonder, you know, how much money they spend on, on flights like that probably cost at least a few hundred. I don't know. Maybe not. Well, it's just, <laughs> you know, you, you were mentioning about how this case, if it was a real case, well, even maybe if it wasn't a real case, um, because obviously they were working for Ratui who was being bought out by this other company. Yeah. And, and so there was definitely some money there that they could have billed for. And the true, Expenses would have been billed to the case, which would have then in turn be billed to the client, you know, or whoever winds up buying the client in this particular case. So the airplane flights would have been covered eventually. And as we talked previously, if Laura's kind of floating the agency on credit cards and and ramen noodles. (laughs) She's going to need Arnock. (laughs) Yeah. Well, they're going to need Arnock. Yeah. But. Eventually, those expenses, the airline, uh, the tickets, the flights, and all that stuff, that would be reimbursed in the pass-through billing. 
But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and we could have seen Murphy being used in Las Vegas as he was doing his hunting and such. Yeah. That, that could have been uh, included, but we're not in the ensemble TV era, so it wasn't. True. And then we've got Steele going to Kaplan's condo. He's got the... Kaplan doesn't exist, but Fervitz, whoever, has the worst condo manager ever. I can't imagine anybody just letting somebody in. Hey, there's a birthday party. I forgot my key. Whoopsie. Can you let me into this person's house? Sure. Come on in. <laughs> I'd want her fired, I think. Yeah. In that respect, you're probably right. I mean, I've had some pretty, pretty bad property managers, but they were corporations and some of the managers yeah. that they hired were pretty flaky and difficult to work with. But you're right. They never let anybody into my apartment just because they showed up and said, oh, I left something in there last night. <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. Here we go. Yeah. I'm in an apartment. We know the, our building managers very, very well. And there is no way they would let anybody into our place without our knowledge. That just would not happen. <laughs> so I, I'm like sitting there thinking, I'm angry for... Fervitz, for some reason, even though he's a murderer, like, they're invading his privacy. But then, of course, he's there looking for anything. And I don't know where the name Beatrice comes up. Theoretically, he, oh, 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 the condo manager says he has a girlfriend named Beatrice. The woman that Seal meets is named Cynthia. And they never, it's never mentioned who Beatrice is or what happened to Beatrice. Did you catch that or wonder about that? Because I was confused. Hmm. No, I, I didn't. Um, cause the condo manager specifically says that she's never met George and his girlfriend Beatrice takes up a lot of his time. And then when the woman comes in, her name is Cynthia and they never mention Beatrice again. <laughs> it was weird to just drop that plot thread entirely because he theoretically only has the one girlfriend. He's dumped her. Albie has dumped mm -hmm. her. And there was a talk about a one way ticket to Jamaica as well. Which is weird, because if you dump somebody, why would you send them to Jamaica? <laughs> to get them out of the way? Get them out of your hair? I guess. Yeah, well, that's true. That's because they don't want anyone finding her. So I guess that makes sense. Um, and of course, this whole scene is is played very... Um, she comes in, she sees Steele sitting on the bed and assumes that Steele is who George has dumped her for. And I, it's supposed to be funny. I wanted to find it funny. It could have been very funny, but it didn't land for me. I think if the actress played it a little bit more lighthearted, like, oh, 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 you're the, oh, so sorry. And, you know, and, and started running out and instead of the, and I realize it's the eighties, but the total disgust that she has in her face mm -hmm. and her tone, it, it, it doesn't, it, it ceases to be funny. I think because of how she reacts, I think if she reacted a little bit more, um, zany or does that make sense? Am I making any sense? <laughs> yeah. Although I, I do have to think that you're looking at it through the 2022 eyes instead of the 1980s eyes. Yeah. Because at that time it would have been maybe a little more of a shock and a little more of a, I, I can't believe that attitude, you know, and especially if, yeah. if she had no clue. I don't, I could, I just, I could have found it hilarious. I think it would have been a lot funnier if it was just like, oh, oh, it's, oh, you're the new, oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, I better get out of here. You know, instead of the, you know, although I did like the, mm -hmm. why is it always the gorgeous one says the door shuts? <laughs> that was, <laughs> yeah. because if anybody's going to get mistaken for 
you know, for someone who's potentially gay, steel dresses very well. <laughs> you know, it, it, that's, it, I could, I could buy it if, uh, you know, if I didn't know any better. So that part of it is funny. But yeah, we never find out about Beatrice. That name gets dropped. <laughs> yeah. Which is Except weird. was, was that the landlady or I think it's, I think it was originally steel who came up with the name and then she repeated it later because oh, at this particular scene that we were, we, that we were at where steel had told Fred to go over to George's apartment and he was getting the landlady to let him in. He said, I can't simply get over Beatrice for getting to leave the key as she promised. Imagine me sitting there with in a limousine. Oh, uh, you're right. Uh, with okay, a limousine yep. of warm champagne. And then later, I think she is the one who u- uses the name because she got it from Steele. And Steele was just threw it out as a name okay. to give him an excuse to get in. But yeah, it wasn't really clear. Which is rather funny because he accidentally teases out probably the most important part of the case by making up a fake girl or he, what he thought was a fake girlfriend to get in the condo lady kind of went with it and said, yeah, there's, you know, she takes up a lot of his time. And then of course there turned out to be a girlfriend, which sort of yeah. unraveled everything, which is kind of funny. Yeah. Talk about the steel luck. Yeah. <laughs> he kind of has that luck throughout the whole show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, he would be the kind of guy you want to take to Las Vegas and, and let bet for you. Yeah. Well, they do at some point go to Las Vegas, uh, but he's not the one that develops the gambling fever. If I recall, <laughs> Yeah. Um, but then, of course, he runs into Laura. She berates him for not being at Arnox Hotel. He accuses her of being afraid to admit he might know what he's doing. This is the scene where she kind of turns around and says, well, do you? And he says, just barely. Uh, and this is, I think, also the point where you mentioned that he's just starting to realize that maybe he cares about this and maybe he is actually interested in finding out what's going on. And, of course, she still makes him call Arnock. <laughs> he, he has a personal reason to care about the agency and its success beyond the financial. Yeah. And that's just the, the fact that if he's going to get kidnapped or things like that are going <laughs> to happen to him because of who he's pretending to be, maybe he should actually start learning a little bit about the business in self-defense. Yeah. And then of course the Ratui um, security system that Laura ends up walking through Does that make sense as a security system? Well, it's not, it's not your traditional security system. That's for sure. No, that's very true. (laughs) That's very true. And it's obviously not designed to keep people out in the same way that, for example, uh, doors with heavy duty locks and, and the alarm tape around the window that you can clearly see things like that would be designed to help deter people before they got in. But once they got in, Oh yeah, that would yeah, that would freak people out. Especially in the dark at night. <laughs> True. Oh yeah. True. <laughs> especially if they were predisposed to be I don't want to say paranoid, but predisposed to be frightened about stuff. And of course, as a criminal, yeah. if you're breaking into a building, you're going to be yeah, if you're, you're, you're going to be especially aware of of noises that shouldn't be there because that's a that's a bad thing when you're a criminal breaking into a building. But, you know, even, (laughs) even just beyond that, I don't know if I should, it kind of relates. I don't know if I should tell this. When I was young, I used to be afraid of walking between semi-trucks or in in an area where there were a lot of semi-trucks at night, because for some reason I thought that 
they would come get me. And I had not seen, as far as I'm aware, I had not seen the movie. Um, Christine? No. It's the one with the... <laughs> That's the car uh, that the, comes after The you. semi-truck. Duel. Oh, I haven't seen that one. Yeah, that was uh, what, like, like in the 60s or early 70s uh, about a semi-truck with this unseen driver that is trying to run a guy in a car off the road. And that, that's the whole movie. It's one of those you know suspense movies that I don't <laughs> really watch. But that's, that's what I always felt like when I was walking around semi-trucks at night, which makes it a little bit ironic that I became a truck driver <laughs> for a number of years. But, <laughs> you know, if I was, if I was breaking into a building and I had this already, this, this type of a fear in me to begin with, Plus, I was doing yeah. something I knew I shouldn't be That's doing. Uh, the sounds and the lights, yeah, that would freak me out. I would probably get out of there and hurry. <laughs> Laura doesn't, of course. She keeps walking and, of course, runs into Izzy, who is this scene. Like, ugh, no, I didn't like this scene. At, uh, he asked to touch her face. Sure. That's somewhat understandable. He's blind. She says yes, but then his hands start to wander and she yeah. sits there. She's very stiff. And it's clear she's uncomfortable. I wonder, why doesn't she say anything? Why doesn't she stand up? Why doesn't she move? His hand goes, like, right down her shirt at one point. Yeah. Yeah, I, I had that in, in my notes as well. Yeah, my, my question that I had on that, I, I didn't go quite the direction you did, although it's a good direction. My question was, if he's just trying to get an image of her in his mind— or was he trying to distract her so she doesn't too. pay as close attention yeah. to what he says that she, you know that she should be paying attention to? Or was he just trying to come on to her and she was not maybe altogether? Yeah, I wonder. Maybe she was okay with it. I don't know. Or at least partially oh, okay with the it. The look on her face is very uncomfortable. But she doesn't yeah. move. I wonder if it was one of those things where she was thinking okay, this is this is innocent, he's blind. And then, of course, it becomes pretty obviously not innocent, but then she doesn't know how to get out of it. I don't know. It was yeah, very that strange that she just sat there, you know, when his hand starts to, to wander downward. And then, yeah, ugh, I didn't like, I don't like watching it. That scene, I do not like watching. It's creepy. Yeah. I Very, very I, creepy. <laughs> yeah, I just, I couldn't understand how, okay, you want to get a mental picture of this person. Okay, that... Your face, maybe, yeah. Sure, but yeah. The rest, mm, you know, maybe just give yeah. them a hug or something. That would give you all the information. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, and I also wondered for for the next scene, how does Steele find Cynthia? He's got Arnock with him in the car. How does he know where she's gonna? Are they at the building? Are they underground? In the is that her or or sorry, Kaplan's condo that they're in the underground of or? Did he just sort of somehow luck out? Because he seems to to know where she's going to be somehow. You're talking about when she gets shot? Yeah. 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 I think that's in the parking garage of her apartment complex. At least that's how, okay. I, that's how I interpreted it. So he just kind of gets lucky that she's showing up right then. Uh, again, the steel luck. <laughs> Although I will say this scene is a little bit more funny. It achieves a little bit more, I think, of what that earlier scene was trying to do. Because she's like... Says something like, you know, I'm sorry I was rude. He likes this. He likes that. She's almost giving him tips, which I mm -hmm. really enjoyed. <laughs> and yeah. Steele doesn't, he's desperately trying to get this information. I wonder if he even notices what the, what the mix-up is. 
because he doesn't seem to counter her at all in her assumption. He's he, he's sort of singularly focused, but he doesn't at any point say, "I'm not with George. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not gay." Well, he doesn't. He doesn't ever say that. So I just wonder if he figured it he out. He doesn't come right out and say that. I think he does say something to the effect of, "It's not what you think." Yeah. Yeah. True. So I, I think he knows where she's going with it. And he does try to kind of head her off at the pass on that. But <laughs> yeah, no, he, he doesn't come right out and say it. He just, no, it's not what you think. It's not what you think. It's not what you think. And then, of course, she gets shot. And poor Arnott catches her and faints. <laughs> well, no, Steel steel caught her and then handed her off to Arnock. Handed but, her to Arnock. That's right. <laughs> I mean, who? Poor Arnock. <laughs> Who does that? I mean, <laughs> here, here's here's a woman. She just got shot. Here's a body. And you're supposed to shot, be the detective. Yeah. <laughs> he's a civilian. He's just here along for the ride. Oh, here, would you hold this dead body for me? What? <laughs> what, I, what I did find interesting is he runs after the shooter with no gun, with no way of defending himself, with nothing. Why? Why would you do that? Why would you not find a you know, call the police or call Laura or something. What was he going to do? Pull out a cell phone? after the shooter. Well, that, <laughs> yeah, fair. But I mean, you'd, you'd be trying to find a payphone then, right? You'd be trying to find someone to call well, 911. The car has a car phone. There's a car in the limo. Yeah, that's true. Maybe he was just trying to go out so he can get the details on the car that they took off in. So he had something to give to the police, like to make the model, maybe the license plate, you know, certainly the color. That's the only thing I can think of because, yeah, you're right. It, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Oh, they've got guns. I don't. I'm going to give chase. <laughs> they never have guns. The gun is at the agency in a box with bullets in a separate box. <laughs> yeah. Uh, up on the top shelf. <laughs> Where they can't reach it. <laughs> yeah. So, no, that didn't. That wasn't a very smart move. No, it really, really wasn't. And then you've got in the next scene, this is going back to what you said at the beginning about the toodaloo. Laura is looking at a photo of the boat as she tells uh, Sheila about George's girlfriend, right? Mm -hmm. You would think Laura, of all people, later on, would make the connection when Izzy gets killed. She's staring at the photo. It's Steele that makes that connection later on with Arnox, completely absent of Laura, but you would think she's still... I don't know, that one seemed a little a little off to me, that Laura doesn't... When Izzy dies and says, toodaloo... That's an odd thing to say when you die. <laughs> a very strange parting goodbye, you know? Well, I mean, it is a classy way to kick off. But <laughs> I guess. <laughs> you know, the, I guess the only explanation that I could think to come up with here off the top of my head, because I didn't think about that question, is maybe the idea of context. The photo was one context and him being shot and dying was a different context and it didn't connect in her brain that those two things had anything to do with each other. It's kind of like, you know, if you see somebody that you know, but you don't see them in a place that you would expect to see them, you don't necessarily recognize them as, as who they are, you know, especially if it's not somebody True. that you know, well, it's just like yeah. a casual acquaintance or somebody that you've seen at work or some distant relative. You know, they could walk right by you and you might not ever recognize them because you've never seen them in that particular place or location or that's the only explanation I can come up with off the top of my head because like I said, 
I didn't catch that either. <laughs> well, I mean, she's supposed to be the detective. It, it's just funny that it's Steele that ends up being the one that makes the connection when they find out about the boat. And both he and Arnok say, toodaloo, toodaloo, and then they go off to the boat. I guess that means Arnok is smarter than Laura, too. (laughs) Yeah, well, this is what I'm saying. Like, both of them figure it out, and she doesn't figure... I I think that this was one of those... The writers needed to show the audience the boat somehow. So they have Laura glancing at the photo, and it's, it's meant to connect that back to the first scene. And then, of course, later on, when Steele and Arnok figure it out, it's just kind of funny that she doesn't make the connection. But... No, she's got other things. She's distracted by Steve. <laughs> and of course, that the next scene is them at the marina. And one of one of Steele's best double entendres, ready to assume your position, Miss Holt. <laughs> Which is probably one of my favorite <laughs> comments of his. You know, and they <laughs> off they go, this romantic walk by the by the pier. And this is also interesting because Laura's reading him the riot act about promising Arnock a private jet. As they as they storm down the marina, and Laura is telling Steele that she doesn't think he should be so involved in the business, and then she's kind of wondering it, whether or not in his past he's been involved in this sort of business or something like it, because she she kind of tries to tease out of him whether or not he's had any experience, and he makes the comment about you know why puncture why punctuate something with so with something so tedious as the truth. And I wonder at this point, is the mystery more engaging to Laura? Does she really want the truth? Or is she enjoying the kind of fantasy? I don't know. Whatever, um, whatever he represents. You know, that line, it's so much like something that a, a character from Star Trek Deep Space Nine uh, said. Yes. <laughs> Garrick, the Cardassian Taylor, his, his line was, <laughs> yep, never tell the truth when a lie will do. <laughs> yeah. And I, th- yeah, <laughs> it's one of my favorite characters. <laughs> I, I I have to think that that is a little bit of Steele's philosophy, or it has been. True. Yeah. And so, why puncture the image that you've created for me <laughs> with a little tedious thing like the truth? I think he likes playing the role. And it works role. for him. Yeah. Yeah. He likes playing the role, and and maybe it's as much uh, about him not wanting to delve into his past at least at this point as it is of not wanting laura to know about it i don't know i think it might be a combination for sure he's probably so so accustomed to making things up i mean he's a con man that's what he does he's a professional liar <laughs> that's uh, what he in does a, in a yeah. sense it's his, so it's yeah. kind of second not only second nature to him but that's what he feels comfortable with and so yeah why why tell the truth when a lie will do he might also worry that the truth might lower him a little bit in her, like, not that she holds him in high esteem at the moment as it is, but <laughs> at least you she's think? curious enough about him to keep him around. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. Whereas I think he knows that being as she's, she's got a moral compass that looks down on his former profession in some ways. Mm-hmm. And I think he's worried that, if she knows more about what he's done in the past, that she might not, that her trust might, whatever, what little trust she has in him might evaporate and that she might really decide, okay, this is not, this is not going to work. We need to, you need to go. So maybe that's a bit of protecting himself as well. And something that just occurred to me, and that was from the last episode, Tempered Steel. Remember the itchy scene? 
it's not just yep. Yep. what what's keeping them around is is the the kind of the mystery challenge. the the fact that I haven't the challenge that that I haven't tumbled into bed with him. I think maybe this is kind of a mirror image of that that yeah. he's thinking that if he keeps dangling his mysterious past in front of her without revealing it, she's going to keep him around because yeah. she's curious. Obviously, she's curious. Yeah. And that is motivation for her to keep him so he doesn't have to work so hard to have to stay. Good point. Yeah, I didn't think about that. I didn't either until just now. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, insights. Come on. <laughs> So my next question, <laughs> he kisses her. I I have asked this in the Steel Watchers group as well. Do we count this as their first kiss? It's supposedly undercover. Steel's kind of putting the moves on, but Laura is distracted, to say the least. And then she says Mr. later, Marnock? oh, no, it was because of the case. It wasn't <laughs> Mr. Marnock. But then she denies that they were kissing because they were working. So do yes. we count this or, or <laughs> is, is this one we count or do we wait? <laughs> I actually did. A, I actually, uh, when I was doing my rewatches, I counted how many episodes between this and their next kiss. And I was like sort of doing a kiss watch to see when, how long it takes them. I think it was like six or seven that they don't kiss again for. I guess you have to decide whether this was steel kissing Laura as Steele kissing Laura, or was it Steele kissing Laura as a private investigator who was trying to keep his cover? I think it's the former, but for Laura, it might be the second. <laughs> yeah. So I, I guess it's a, a matter of which perspective you look at True. it from uh, his or hers. Yeah. I, I you know, I, I guess the question or the way I would put the question to kind of illustrate the dilemma is one of the things that happens in Hollywood, of course, is, is that actors and actresses who play roles in a TV show or, or a movie, they become a couple offset. Right. So sometimes. it happens sometimes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So when they were doing their scenes in the movie as their characters, do they consider that their first kiss or do they consider ah, their first point. kiss? What they <laughs> You know, the first time that they as themselves kiss. Yeah. True. Good I point. would think that they would say, well, when we were doing it on stage or on the set, that was as the characters. Now this is us. Right. So I, I guess that would be my answer here is that here they're doing it as their characters, as detectives yeah. on a case to keep their cover. So not really, but I, I can see the argument the other way yeah. as well. No, I, I, I agree with you. I think it, I, I don't think it counts, but, uh. Because Laura has plausible deniability, so. <laughs> well, say, as long no, as you've no, no, got no, that, you've got everything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then, of course, Arnock interrupts them, and they hear gunshots. And I love the bit with Arnock asking Steele to shoot back, and he says, do you have a gun? <laughs> it's like, you've been shot at once. Why Why have you not gone to get the gun? Well, you, you know, that I reminds me. I think back didn't have a lot of faith. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What some detective you are? You don't even carry a gun. What is it sitting up yeah. on the shelf <laughs> in your closet in your office? No, I would never do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, that wouldn't be a good thing. Back in the in the kidnapping scene, that was a, a cigarette case that he pulled out, wasn't it? A cigarette, yeah. 
It's very James Bond. Yeah, what, it was a why was he, Yes, very, very James Bond. But why was he carrying a cigarette case? As far as I know, he doesn't smoke. He smokes cigars. You see him smoking cigars in a few scenes in later episodes. So he definitely, but it's a weird thing to carry around with you unless you, like cigars aren't something that you smoke, you know, anywhere. Usually it's something you have with like a drink. At least, I, I don't know, mm-hmm. I don't smoke cigars. Maybe someone does. <laughs> Maybe somebody who does could do. But I don't think it would be something you'd carry with you. And it's big. That's a big cigarette mm-hmm. lighter. Yes, it is huge. But yes, it's, it was very James Bondish. <laughs> So why didn't he pull yeah. it out in this case? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it's too dark. Maybe they wouldn't see it. He could have at least impressed Arnock and said, yeah, well, you know, I can't get a clear shot, but, but when I, when I can, I'll shoot yeah. him. Yeah. I know it looks like a cigarette lighter, but really it's not. <laughs> and then of course they go back to the office. He's talking to his wife, which is also funny, trying to explain why he's not back yet. Laura's confused by, oh, sorry, they go back. Izzy gets shot. Poor Izzy also gets pushed into Arnok's arms. And now he's held on to two dead bodies. And, you know, he probably has to get some therapy after after hanging out with them. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. poor Arnok. <laughs> oh. and, and, you know, Arnok is clearly distressed about the whole thing. You, know, <laughs> yeah. you can hear that in his voice and his conversation with his wife is that it's just like, yeah. who are these people? I've, <laughs> why, why am I here? <laughs> I can't believe I got, got into business with these people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, they, and he technically he hasn't officially agreed to it. So they're still well, technically they're trying, too, to yeah. to, trying to get him yeah. on board. Right. And then yeah. of course it's, you know, he's held two dead bodies today. It's probably not the best way yeah. to win over a client. So. No. <laughs> Uh, it's and, impressive, but not in a good way. <laughs> uh, and then we back, end up back at Steele's apartment. Here's a scene where they're working together fairly well. Steele is the one who comes up with the idea of, of talking to the, the janitor. And Laura points out, oh, I've got a list. She asks Steele to stay with Arnok. He wants to go with her, and she brushes him off and then takes off. And, and of course, he, he, another funny part of this episode is that he, because the, the janitor was one of the ones that kidnapped him, he's mm-hmm. able to to call him up, I guess. I don't know. They exchange numbers, but <laughs> when Laura oh, comes back. Oh, he probably back, got the number from Izzy. Yeah. Well, that's true. But or, or not she, Izzy. Um, Albie, maybe? Albie, thank you. Yeah. yeah. But they're not working. She has heard him give several good ideas up to mm-hmm. and including talking to the janitor. And I understand her wanting to secure Arnok's business, but you would think that at this point she would take him with her. Or at least acknowledge that he's done something or had a good idea. Because in the next episode, you see, or sorry, in the next scene, you see him talking to Manuel. And he's mm-hmm. practicing this whole speech. <laughs> I love Manuel's, what, do you want to make the chick cry? Like, what's your... <laughs> well, I, I think as as far as her leaving him there, um, I'm, I'm going to say maybe she was thinking that he needs to babysit Arnok. Yeah. Poor Arnok. <laughs> yeah. Poor guy. So that would make sense. Also, just the fact that she doesn't want to admit that he had a good idea. Yeah. And taking him along <laughs> is kind of an admission it valid- of it that. It validates him. Yeah, that's true. Yes. Yeah. So then what is his motivation for having this whole speech that he wants to say to Laura? Does he honestly feel like he's let the agency down? Or is this just part of oh, his no. ploy to get her into bed? 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> it, it's, oh, poor pity me. Yeah. Oh, poor pity me. Here, feel, feel sorry for me? Is it working? <laughs> Are you feeling sorry for me yet? Hey, look. Yeah, that's, that's all it is. <laughs> let's, let's let's talk about it. <laughs> oh, please hold me and make me. <laughs> <laughs> I'll feel so much better when your arms he's are around so me and extra. reassuring me. <laughs> he really is. He's very... He's such a queen. He's a drama queen for sure. Yes. Yes. Oh, it's in the best way. No wonder he's mistaken by Cynthia's uh, <laughs> George's <laughs> new boyfriend. <laughs> um, and then Manuel admits he's never met George. Laura, having spoken to Murphy, uh, realizes that nobody was ever really there. So she hasn't spoken. She rushes off to tell Murphy, and they start to figure it out. Steele is feeling brushed aside. Um, so he, you know, apologizes to Arnok, but that's when they realize that's when they make the connection about the toodaloo. Right. Right. And then Arnok is the one who orders Fred to go to the marina, which is pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> now Arnok's like, yeah, let's get him. Let's, we're on board. And then we see Laura in George's condo, most irresponsible mm -hmm. condo manager ever. Because she, she's now let Laura in as well as Steele. Oh, I forgot. Hey, I my... mean, if you're going to let one in, you might as well let them all in. <laughs> Come on in. I forgot my purse from the party the other night. The party that never actually happened. <laughs> uh, but what's funny about when they're at the marina, they're looking at the map. Steel mm. actually says north by northwest. Yep. Which when, is about as close as they come to, the, to yeah. referring to the movie directly. Yeah. Although he doesn't do his usual Cary Grant, yeah. Eva St. Marie, MGM 1959 you know, yeah. bit. No, he doesn't do that, but... <laughs> But yeah, that's where they, and then of course we switch back to Murphy and Laura and they're figuring it out because of course everything that Kaplan has parallels what, what they did with steel. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, they're, <laughs> I love the Laura calling Fred, what's he doing about five knots as the boat pulls away. <laughs> yeah, that's a great line. <laughs> it's probably one of Fred's best because he says it, he's deadpan when he says it, you know, oh, about five knots as they're on the boat. Yeah. And so, of course, Steele is off doing doing what he does, and Laura has to go to the meeting without him. Albie is, of course, pretending to be worried that George is not there. Laura and, and Murphy are waiting for Steele. And then Steele comes in and says he found George, and, and the, both of them are shocked. Like, you did? <laughs> so, I mean... What do you think about the whole, you know, Steele's monologuing? Why did I, I guess this is the question you asked me in the in the last episode? Why do you think she lets him go on this way when she thinks she's already figured it out? I don't know. Um, <laughs> maybe maybe just to give herself time to think. Okay, yeah, true. Because I don't know if she's still at this point at the point that that Steele is going off on his tangent here. I don't know that she's firmly set in her mind. The solution. Yeah. She may be like 90% there. And then, of course, when Steele comes in with this chest. Yeah, and so they stuff, found him. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, um, okay, well, I was 90% sure, but maybe. Yeah. And so she lets him go just to see what he's got and see how that fits into her theory that she's got. I, I don't know. I, it's, it's, again, it's one of those things where. I guess in the last episode, it was one of those things that was totally didn't make sense from a, a rational standpoint because yeah, he was totally off base and she knew it, 
But again, just like the last episode, maybe it was just buying time, letting him trying to find out and see what he had in mind and then letting all the chips fall in place. Like you said, I don't know. I wonder if she's seen enough of his instincts in this episode to think, as you said, she thinks she's figured it out, but maybe when he says he's found George, she, she starts to question herself. Did, did he really find him is, is what I thought is that wrong? And then of course he opens the chest and they, they find all the evidence that they were attempting to hide and that reinforces to Laura that she was in fact correct and that they created this fake fourth executive so that they could strip her to for all it was worth and leave this fictional partner to take the blame. And then of yeah. course, if Remington Steele failed to find Kaplan, then that would only, as you said, bolster uh, Ratui's innocence by, Oh, you know, if, if, if Remington Steele couldn't find him, then nobody can. Steele seems a bit embarrassed by the attention when he's given the acclaim or the credit from Gruff and Weston, rather than bragging and being his usual sort of boisterous self, he, he almost seems slightly ashamed of it. Do you think he's realizing just how much he has to learn at this point? Could be. It could also just be that when he, I want to make a, I want to make a Geraldo joke here um, <laughs> about the, the vault. <laughs> I, I can't think of the name of, of the criminal who that was. Anyway, when Geraldo opened that thing and there was nothing there, it was like egg on the face moment for right. him. Yeah. And I think when Steele opened the chest here and there was no evidence of George, just money, computer components and that sort of thing. Yeah. I think he felt like he had egg on his face and yeah, Laura kind of, saved the situation but she, she didn't does. really do anything to save his embarrassment i think maybe he was true. just embarrassed yeah that's true yeah you know, and, and so point. he he had no choice but to say well you know it's my I staff owe, they're such I a wonderful <laughs> i owe it all to my incredible staff <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then the last the tag scene this is a really intimate scene. They're they're by the fireplace. They're having a drink together. They're laying on his floor. I have to wonder, are his couches not comfortable? Because they lay on the floor a lot. This well, is they do weird. that in movies. They do that in <laughs> I, movies. It hurts my back. <laughs> I'm not really, I, I only look at it and think, ouch, there's a couch right there. Why not sit on it? But in the movies, they do it. It's so romantic. It's you not. know. <laughs> Back pain isn't romantic? No, no, it is not. It's painful. Oh, okay. Well, that's the only explanation I can, I can come up with. That and a plus, it looks good on camera. It does. It does. It looks very good. And I got to wonder how he managed to entice her into this highly romantic date-like scenario after everything that's happened. Because this is anything more and he'd have flower petals strewn all over the floor at this point. <laughs> I wonder how they get out of the situation with Arnok. Yeah. Well, Arnok, yeah. when he shows up declaring it, he's selling his stores, wanting to join the team. They'd have a lot of damage control to do there for sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, and he, he, okay. He was instrumental in certain aspects of the case. Uh, for example, along the, yeah. the toodaloo, as well as explaining that, okay, in this situation, yeah. your executive disappears. He takes a lot of uh, your assets from your company. Nobody knows about it, so you cover it up. 
Yeah. So he was instrumental in in his way. But yeah, I mean, they don't want him. <laughs> it's so it's, cute though that at that point he's like, "Well, you know, I'm I'm ready to join up." <laughs> yeah. Put me in, coach. Nobody asked you. <laughs> we did. We didn't invite you. <laughs> well, technically she didn't invite Steel either, and yet there he is. So well, Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> Remington but... Steel, home of stray pets. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I that's th- that was to me that was kind of a I was almost embarrassed for them. Yeah, there's that secondhand embarrassment. <laughs> I have that a lot. I do too. Anytime Anytime somebody does like a bad performance on TV that's supposed to be bad, but like in, in the plot or whatever, I cringe. I just can't do it. I'm just like, or, no. Or they're just, <laughs> I see somebody performing and they're genuinely bad. Yeah. Yeah. You're just like, oh, no. You, no, I, I can't handle it. I just, <laughs> I know. Except at karaoke. That is expected. So you're all right there. <laughs> I avoid karaoke. <laughs> I do a mean hotel I, California. Just just fair warning. I also avoid sushi. <laughs> I don't I don't know if the I don't, I don't think they're connected. connected. No. I, I, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> so I mean that's unless you have anything that, that to add, that's pretty much the episode. Any other thoughts or um no, not really. Um uh, the one thing that earlier on uh, this would have been after Laura meets Albie and agrees to the compromise of working on the case, Murphy says to her about something, says, Hey partner. And, you know, back to conversations we've had about who is what, what are their positions? What's the the business relationship? Is he talking about her? Is, is that just an expression or is he I talking to that. her as a partner? I wondered that. Yeah. That he thinks of herself, himself as her partner. And is it just in business or is it? (laughs) Well, then again, you go back to what was there, what was Murphy and and Laura's original agreement? We don't know. Yeah. But if they, if they both put equal money into it, then, Mm -hmm. but then why is Laura the boss? It's a, you're right. It's a strange thing to say. And then he follows it up with, why can't somebody skip to Maui for a change? Or even Acapulco. (laughs) Acapulco. Is he just. (laughs) thinking about the weather or is he thinking about these because they're romantic destinations yeah or he's thinking yeah. about them in relationship with laura but then of course she fobs him off to go by himself yes and yeah so i wonder poor guy <laughs> yeah poor, poor murphy, poor murphy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hey, that's all i've got yeah well and you already said this but we have a website www.steelwatching.com that's where the show notes, the links to Amazon Canada and US are. See, I said it the other way around. See that? Hey, <laughs> and hey. uh, if you <laughs> order, <Ooh>. yeah, <laughs> it has nothing to do with the superiority buy. complex of Canadians. Not at all. <laughs> Canadians have an inferiority complex. We just like to we, we like to get made fun of in media. <laughs> they they made a Canadian reference in this. Uh, Kaplan was supposed to book a flight to Toronto and I was like, well, mm-hmm. Toronto, you'll never get there right now. Pearson's a mess, but come on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, if you use the links to buy uh, North by Northwest, then we get a small commission off of that, which is a way for us to benefit and, you know, you guys to help the show. So uh, that's awesome. And there are other media resources and links which I don't know if you want to mention the other ones. Yeah, we're going to have links there that you can Click on to follow the podcast in your favorite pod player. You can 
get to the official steel watching Facebook page from there, because we'll have links for that for the Twitter and the Instagram pages and a link to the steel watchers, Facebook, Facebook, steel watchers fan group. Does it matter which order I say that in? I don't, I, I don't think, think so. it does. No. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Steel watchers on Facebook link there at the website. It'll get you there. Yep. And, uh, the next episode will be signed, steeled and delivered which is episode four of season one. And that's not the Stevie Wonder song. No. (laughs) (laughs) No, it is not. (laughs) (laughs) Well, all right. Sounds good. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining me and for everyone listening and have a wonderful rest of your day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody. Eric and Sarah here. Just a quick announcement to let you know that Yes, we do appreciate everyone who listens, participates, and supports the podcast in whatever way you do. But we wanted to give an extra thank you to those who are so graciously giving to be monthly financial supporters. We are making live streams of our recording sessions available to anyone who is a monthly financial supporter. So not only can you watch us live as we record our podcast episodes, you will be getting access to the raw, behind-the-scenes, unedited version of episodes before they get officially released. And Sarah, does that include our mistakes and screw-ups and our humiliating? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it does. Every single one of them. (laughs) Every single one of them, yes. So again, this is just an extra thank you to those who are going above and beyond. But whether you choose to become a monthly financial supporter or not, we still love you. We want to say we thank you for your support your encouragement, and your feedback. If you want to become a monthly financial supporter, please visit our website at www.steelwatching.com to sign up.